I want to add my welcome to uh, the many that you've heard this morning. Uh, I don't know about you, but but I, I, I wonder if uh, you might have, after listening to Brian and Chris speak, I wonder if you might have heard all you need to hear this morning. But all the same, thank you for being here. Uh, it's really a joy for me to see so many members of this church family through the year joined together in one place this morning. That is a special thing. You are a joy to behold because you're a testament to something wonderful. Uh, you're a testament to nothing less than God's working in this city and through his church and this little corner of the kingdom. That you are a part of the spiritual fabric that God is weaving in the city of Birmingham, and I can't tell you how glad I am to be a part of this community with you. And so whether you're a, a former member of this church, whether you're current, currently active in the life of this church, whether you're even considering about being a part of this church, I want you to know just how sweet it is that, that, you, that you're with us here this morning. Thank you for that. Anniversary celebrations like this one, almost by definition, ask us to remember. They beg us to recall Memories that have been stacked up over the last many, many years. And uh, what the text that we're looking at this morning is a looking back text where Paul writes a letter to a church that he, uh, that he helped plant in the city of Thessalonica. And, uh, and what he does is he remembers what those early years were like, where he was among them working together in the uh, laboring for the sake of a church plant. So let's look at that together. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I'll read verses 1 through 13. Hear the word of the Lord. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. While we proclaim to you the gospel of God, you are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us and accepted it, not as the words of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you. Let me pray. And Father, we come to you with grateful hearts. 
Uh, it is a privilege to celebrate what we're celebrating. It is a good gift from you. And so I pray over these next few moments that you would nourish us, that you would sustain us by your word, that you would help us to see the ways that you are at work now, inside and outside your church, in the hearts of these people, in their lives, and their families. And that you would join us now and speak to us. And would you help me as your servant to, to honor you with what I say and to love these people well. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so since coming to be with you about a year ago now, like we're hitting our anniversaries at the same time. Have you guys noticed that? So I was with you, I joined you about a year ago, and over the last year I've had a, a special privilege uh, to, to listen to you. I called it a listening tour where I got to sit down with many of you and I just asked you to tell me stories. Tell me stories about what uh, life in this church has been like over the last 20 years. And for any church that's 20 years old, a lot of stories have been stacked up, right? One right on top of each other. Uh, and, but yet you indulged me. You were really gracious and shared with, uh, with me a lot of stories. And I heard stories of hope, lots of stories of hope. In fact, one person who was here right at the beginning of this church uh, described that time as a time of boundless hope was the way that he described it. He talked about uh, this clarified mission that many were buying into and, and were willing to sacrifice. It, I've heard it described as a, a kind of rare kind of energy that was behind a, a new and unique church plant with uh, an enjoyable and relatable leader and relatable and enjoyable engaging preaching and teaching. I heard that people were coming to Red Mountain who hadn't darkened the doors of the church and in years, that, uh, that skeptics and the de-churched and the unchurched and, and the doubting were all coming to, 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 to church, and, and many of them were actually meeting Jesus, which is what we were all so excited about. But they described the time when this church was so, so uh, cultivated by grace, so secure in grace, that they were happy to make a space where for those who were skeptic or for those who were doubting could come and work out their thinking and their processes alongside each other. I heard this described as a, as a movement of the Holy Spirit, that it was nothing less than what God was doing in their midst, and it was really sweet. It was all very exciting, and hopeful stories were told. And this boundless hope yielded a boundless imagination, as I'm sure you've heard about what God might do with this little church plant over the next several years. And I also heard stories of care. I heard stories of where you rallied toward each other during times of great difficulty, during seasons of sadness and distress and loss. There were those of you who told me stories about how grateful you were to be in this church because, and this is a way that was told to me, they became more convinced of the love of Jesus because of the love Jesus' people were extending to, the, to them during times of great need. And so stories of care where you rallied toward each other in hospitals and homes and during times of difficulty. Those are the stories I heard. And of course, I heard stories of concern, where there were those who were concerned about the state of the church and the future life of the church. And I'll tell you that I, I don't know of a church that's existed for any amount of time that don't have stories like that. But what's impressed me over the last year, and I've said this to Shonda, I think it, it occurred to me when I was talking with your search committee, was just how honest Red Mountain people are 
about the life of the church and these stories of concern. And so we have stories of hope and stories of great care and stories of concern that come together to form a kind of ecclesial memory of who we are. And I think it's important not to understate the power that a cultivated memory has over us. Because it tells us both where we have been, who we have been, and what we value. And it informs us of our principles of who we want to be as we move forward. And what I see in this passage as I look at this is Paul looking back and naming memories that he has that, for, that, 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 uh, that serve to shape a kind, some kind of principles for what it looks like to go forward together. And this is an incredibly rich passage, I think. It's one of my very favorites. And we could spend weeks and weeks and weeks looking at it. Don't worry, we won't. But we see concepts, memories that he names that inform certain principles that we can have going forward. And I just want to talk about two of them with you here this morning. Two memories, two principles. And I think one of the things we see are memories of courage and memories of love. And when I look at this passage, when I look at the courage that it took for Paul to go to Thessalonica, I just want to call it stubborn courage. Stubborn courage is what we see here. Because what, what we see is that Paul moved forward despite real reasons for fear. This is courage despite fear. If you look in verse 2, what does he say? He said, he came to them despite having already suffered and being shamefully treated at Philippi. And so he's naming an, an even earlier church plant that he was involved with in the story of the church plant at Philippi. And I got to tell you, that is a crazy story. You can read about it. In Acts 16, it's just nuts. Uh, but it's probably the coolest story of a church plant ever. There's a jailbreak involved. There's an earthquake. The jailer converts and like meets Jesus. A prominent woman and uh, converts and meets Jesus. Her whole household is baptized. And a church is born that he writes a letter to years later. It's just amazing. But there was also real suffering in that story. Where Paul's and his team's reputations were assaulted by the people of that town. And where he, he, he boldly proclaimed the gospel and it landed him in jail. It got them beaten. And that's what he's referencing when, when he says, We came to you anyway, despite being shamefully treated at Philippi. And what Paul is saying is that even though we had every reason to believe this could happen to us again, we came anyway. It's like Paul understands there's something about gospel ministry and gospel life together that includes suffering and includes reasons for fear. So this is courage despite fear. But we also see courage despite conflict. If you keep looking in verse 2, he said, We had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Now look, this could have been anything. Anybody that's been a part of a church for any amount of time knows that there's always a fair amount of conflict. We, you know, just kind of follows us anywhere we go. This could have been conflict inside the church. This could have been conflict outside the church. This could have been interpersonal conflict between Paul and some of his leaders. This could have been the relationship the church had with permission givers or power brokers in the city. It could have been anyone or all of those things. But what he says is, in the midst of much conflict, we were bold to proclaim the gospel of God to you anyway. And I don't know about you. Some of you might come alive in the middle of conflict, but I, I think that's 
You know, I think that's a minority. I think most of us, for most of us, when we experience conflict, it really sucks the life out of us, doesn't it? I mean, conflict can create self-doubt. It can rob us of joy, energy for the mission. But he said, I had courage anyway. We had courage to come and speak to you despite much conflict. So these two things come together. And I think for Paul, we see a sort of stubborn courage where he moves forward with gospel ministry anyway. And I really think that Paul is simply taking his cues from Jesus on this point. I mean, I think Paul knew as well as anybody the story about how Jesus, Jesus uh, sent out his disciples for preaching and teaching, spreading the message of a Messiah that has come and performing miracles and healings amongst the people. He gave them a heads up about what they were about to face, didn't he? He said, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. This is going to take courage. And he gave them a warning. He said, he said, there are going to be those who hate you for my name's sake. So Paul is simply talking about this courage that Jesus calls his people to if we're going to participate in the gospel life and ministry that we long for, if we're going to bless the people around us, it's going to require some courage. And I just want to ask you, do you, ha- do you feel this need for courage? Uh, early on when I got here, I got as much literature of what those early years were like. I got, somebody gave me, actually Brian gave me a, just a, a backlog of emails that were sent around uh, from Steve and the other core group planners that were talking about what we were trying to do. And I got to tell you, you can't read that stuff without just marveling at the kind of courage that it took to plant that church, to plant this church. Because planting a church requires courage, It does. Planning a church that doesn't look like a lot of the other churches in the area, that takes, that takes guts. Planning a church that's so confident in grace that it's creating spaces for people to work out their doubt and their skepticism with each other, that takes real courage. And if courage was required for them then, I got to tell you, it is also required for us now. We are kidding ourselves if we don't think That nurturing the life of a continuing church doesn't have serious challenges in our day. It's going to take some courage to continue to participate in the life that we long for and continue to serve the church that we love. It's going to take courage. It's going to take courage. There are serious challenges that are in front of us, in front of all who identify with the name of Christ. It's going to take some courage. It's going to require some sacrifice from us and, and possibly some suffering. The question for us is not, if we're going to find ourselves in need of courage, the question for us is, where are we going to find it? And I would submit to you that we will find it in the same place Paul finds it. That he traces his courage to the memories of the love that he lays out for us in this passage. And what we see here is just the, the, the sweetest descriptions of what a church community looks like when it loves what gospel ministry servants and leaders look like when they love. Some, some of the most beautiful verses are found in here. And I tried to avoid doing this, but I don't think that you can call this anything other than, than, uh, than cruciform love. And you might not know what that word cruciform is. That's okay. But it's an awesome word, and you need to learn what it is. But, but, but it's, it's a word that describes what Christ was doing when he went to the cross for the sake of people that he loves. 
And when you look at this cruciform love, what you see is that it's a simple imitation of the love of Christ that Paul already enjoys. You see that cruciform love is gentle. This is, oh my goodness, this is a sweet verse. Verse 7. But we were gentle among you. We were gentle among you. Like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our very own selves. Because you have been so dear to us. Gospel, gospel ministry and friendship were inseparable, is what he's remembering. And that he was gentle among them. Even during a time of courageous and bold proclamation, he was gentle. And where did Paul learn that from? Well, of course, he learned that from Jesus. Because Jesus was the one who was gentle and lowly in heart. He learned that from Jesus, the one who spent time with those that other people avoided on purpose. And the one who sat on the ground and said, don't hinder the children, let them come to me. Jesus was the one who, during a time of great suffering, cried out for the forgiveness of his persecutors. That's where Paul learned that kind of love, that gentle love. We also see that this cruciform love was sacrificial. Look at verse 9. He said that our labor and our toil, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. And what Paul is saying is that I wanted our ministry to you to continue to go forward and we didn't want for you to look at us and wonder what our motives were. So we didn't want to, even though we could have made demands upon you as apostles of Christ, financial uh, payment for their ministry among them, he said we wouldn't take anything from you. And so we worked night and day because we loved you so much and we didn't want anything to possibly taint the message of the gospel as it came to you. That is sacrificial. And where did, where did Paul learn this kind of love? Well, of course, he learned it from Jesus. The one who sacrificed his own glory. The one who sacrificed his place next to the Father. The one who sacrificed his very own self. For the sake of those he loves, that's cruciform love, and it was, it was sacrificial. We also see this cruciform love is holy. Look at verse 9, he says, You know how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. That Paul was careful to protect the words that he used, to protect his behavior, the things that he did around them. Because he wanted so badly for them to know the, the, the words and the message of life. And of course, who did he learn that from? Well, he learned that from Jesus, whose every step on that tortured path was an act of of, of, of obedience to his father. And so I want you to hear that for Paul, just as it was for us, that he was moved by the love that he receives. That he receives love. This is the way the equation works. As we think about the ministry work that we do, that we receive love and then we give it. That as God draws near to us, we draw near to others. That's what it looks like. That God moved toward us first. He was burdened with love for us, and then we are burdened with love for those around us. That, that uh, when Christ is our life, we offer life. We have life to give. When Christ is our life, we offer life. When Christ is our goodness and our portion forever, that we have goodness to offer those around us. When Christ is our peace, 
We give peace. And if our church is to have the kind of gospel life that we aspire to, then our life together is about one person and one person only. That Jesus Christ, the one who assembled us, the one who holds us together even when it feels like things are falling apart, the one who presents us righteous before the Father, the one who died for us and promises life with us around the table again, that our life together is all about one person and one person only, Jesus Christ. And, I, and this comes to us as a, as a kind of a blessing and as a challenge, doesn't it? It's a challenge to us because in so many ways, man, it, I got to tell you, it is so easy. It is the easiest thing in the world to take church and make it about anything but Jesus. I mean, it is so incredibly easy for us to do. We do sometimes we do this without even thinking about it. That, that church can become about like the stewardship of our collective genius together. It can really become about that. Look, like, look, at, look at who we are and what we do. Can be, look, how does church meet my needs? It can become about that. It can become about the manifestation of our gifts. It can become about those things. And we can lose sight of G- It can just happen so easily. And I got to tell you, just as a ministry leader, that is a real temptation. I, I know what I'm talking about on this one. That was a temptation for me. And I will also tell you that the darkest times in my own ministry life have been when I've been thinking about what I'm getting from a church rather than what I'm giving to it. And so the blessing, the blessing for you and for me is what we, that we have something to offer that's so much sweeter, that's so much richer than anything we could summon up for ourselves. Look at what Paul is so thankful for right at the end of this passage. He says, um, he says that, they re- that you receive the word of God, not as the words of men, but as it really is the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Listen, I have a friend. I have a friend who just, just uh, moved to a new town, went to a new church, and he, he, uh, he's committing to this church. And you know what he said? I said, well, tell me about the church. What do you like about it? And he said, you know what I love about this church? is that they really think that the gospel is an endless treasure to be shared. Those were the words that he said. I, I think Jesus probably liked hearing that. I like to imagine that Jesus was standing there and he smiled when he heard my friend say that. Because when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God being like a treasure in a field or, or a pearl of great value, he is teaching us something about the most important things in our life. And he's telling us, That we don't belong anymore to a kingdom of the world. And we don't belong anymore to a kingdom of sin or death. And we don't belong anymore to a kingdom of suffering. But we belong body and soul to a faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who at the cost of his own blood shed for us and secures us life with him. That's what he's telling us. And sin sin doesn't get to have the last word. Death doesn't get to have the last word. The things that we suffer from in this world do not get to have the last word. If you are Jesus's, if you belong to Jesus, then only grace gets to have that privilege. Grace, God's grace, the grace won for you by faith in Jesus Christ has the privilege of the last word over who you are. Your identity is grace that's been given to you. That Jesus Christ on the cross What could be better than this? Jesus Christ on the cross, crucified for sinners, rising again on the third day, and redemption available for all who believe. That's what we have to offer. 
And it's the security of his grace that strengthens our courage. And it's the gift of his grace that gives us even the capacity to love. Because without grace, our courage will fail. It will. And without grace, our love will dry up. But the grace of Jesus Christ secured for us is what we need if we hope at all to hear, to hear these as principles for what it looks like and as, the, as we move forward together. So where does that leave us? When I was talking with you about uh, stories of the past, I also heard from you, many of you, hopes for the future. And I got to tell you, as a new pastor, that's kind of a dangerous question to ask. But you indulged me. You were kind to me. And I, y'all need to know that y'all have a lot of hopes for this church. That is a wonderful thing. And I heard wonderful hopes from you. I heard one person ask me, hey, will you, will you, uh, will you help me? Will you teach me how to share the gospel with our neighbor? That's courage and love all bound up with each other. It was just wonderful. I've heard desires to serve this city. I've heard desires to reach the lost. I've heard desires to engage with the people around us and the neighborhoods that we live in. I've heard these desires, and they are all so sweet to hear. But you know what I heard most of all? I, I, I mean, I heard it in so many different ways, but I'll try and boil it down to this. I heard many of you say, will you keep talking to me about grace? Tell me about grace. This is the only place where I hear about grace. I don't hear it at my workplace. They're not going to teach me about grace. They're not going to remind me of grace. Talk about Jesus and talk about grace. I won't hear it from my neighbors. I certainly will not hear it from the sidelines of my kid's soccer field. That is not the place to learn about grace. Teach me about grace. Teach me to believe it. Teach me to trust it. I think we've got a lot of fun conversations in our future, in our near future, in our, in our far future. I think we've got a lot of life ahead of us, a lot of opportunities to serve right in the place that God has us planted. But I'd like to believe that all of those conversations find their roots in the grace of Jesus Christ that's been won for us, that's secured for us, that never runs out, and that we enjoy, that's promised to you. Amen. Let me pray. Teach us to believe grace and teach us to trust it. Teach us to be givers of grace. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would guide us that you would be the object of our worship, that you would be the object of our greatest desires, and that you would sustain us. Thank you for these good gifts that we are enjoying today. I pray for your nourishing hand as we move toward your table. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.